Well, you guys look good. You sound good. Uh, I just want to say again, welcome to New Life Community Church. Uh, if you are a guest, thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Jasper. I am the associate pastor here. Uh, we're giving our lead pastor, Kyle Jones, a day off today, but he's still here somewhere roaming around. So you guys say hi to him this morning. Um, but I get to fill the pulpit. I love getting to preach to you guys. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So uh, y'all pray for me. It's going to be a little different, but uh, as always, you're going to get out a little early today, so <laughs> I never keep you up very long. So, All right, so um, again, just thank you for being here. Uh, visitors, welcome. Uh, we are wrapping up our series in Colossians today. So we've been going through this for several weeks now. Uh, we've started, we've gone all the way through the book. It's been a very good book. We've had some really good sermons through this. As you can see behind me, we titled this series, All for Christ. The reason we did that is this book has been just full of practical instructions for how we can live for Christ in everything that we do. And everything, every fiber of our being can be done to glorify God. And so we've looked throughout this series at different ways to, to live out the gospel. And today is going to be no different. It's kind of ending on the same note. Um, what we're going to do, let's go ahead and pray before we get started. And then we'll just dive right in, all right? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in your house again today. And thank you for the opportunity to read your word and to learn the truths that it holds. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us during our time here. You would speak to us through your word, that you would open our minds to hear the truth. Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for all you do for us. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, I just kind of want to do a brief a little recap on what we've gone through through the book of Colossians. So, I'm not going to try to re-preach every sermon that we've done for the last however many weeks, but I just want to kind of retouch on what this book has been about and kind of some of the things we've talked about. So, throughout the book of Colossians, uh, just to kind of set the tone, uh, Paul wrote this book. And he wrote it to a, the church and the believers in Colossae or Colossae, however you want to pronounce it. And when he wrote this book at the time, the culture surrounding them was one that was very kind of hostile toward Christianity. Uh, this was a culture that kind of undermined the, the gospel and Jesus. Um, they did not celebrate it. And so it was a very hostile culture. It was very easy for the Christians of that time and in that day to get discouraged. It's very easy for the Christians to, to get distracted by everything that culture was throwing at them. Um, and especially during times of trials or tribulations or persecution, it was easy for Christians during this time to begin to kind of fall into despair. And so Paul, by the way, does that sound a little familiar? A culture that's a little hostile toward Christianity and kind of undermines the gospel. It, it reminds me a lot of the culture that we live in now. So uh, Paul writes this letter to the Colossians, to the church at Colossae, to encourage them, to remind them of the gospel that they've been taught, to remind them to stay rooted and grounded in what they've learned and what they've been taught. So this entire book has been just chock full of different ways to apply the gospel to their lives. We've seen how to apply the gospel and to live for Christ in our marriages. We've seen how to live for Christ and how we parent our children. We've seen how to live for Christ in our jobs. 
The list goes on and on. And we know that uh, Paul kind of started the whole thing out way back in chapter 2 by just really emphasizing the supremacy of Christ, that He is supreme, that He is in control, He's our all in all. And so that's kind of how we started, and we've just had tons of great instruction since then on how we can apply this to our lives. So we're going to kind of continue today. We're going to finish the book up with some more great, simple instruction on what we as Christians can do in a culture that can be hostile toward Christianity and kind of undermine Christianity and Christ and the gospel message, when we find ourselves in that surrounding, this is some practical, I hate to say advice, because advice, you can either take it or leave it. This is instruction. This is stuff we need to be doing. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at that. So uh, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, and we are going to be starting at verse 2. I'll give you just a second to go ahead and get there. And while you're Turning there, if you will look in the seat back pocket in front of you where those connect cards are, there's usually a pen in there. Go ahead and grab a pen if you don't have one. As you can see, looking at your bulletin, um, you're going to be writing down a lot of stuff today. I've got a lot of blanks there for you, so pay attention. We're going to move kind of fast. You're going you're to get good use out of that pen today. So let's go ahead and read Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 2 through verse 18. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha at the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So that's a lot. It's a lot to read. But what we are going to do is we're going to focus on verses 2 through 6 for the first part of this. Now we are going to touch on the rest. But if you noticed, verses 7 through 18 is just kind of a list of different brothers in Christ, different ministers, and how they've helped and all of that. So we're going to touch on that, but we're really looking at two through six. So that's what we're going to focus in on this morning, okay? 
So what we want to do is looking at this, and as you'll see in your handout on your bulletin, I've, I've got all these blanks in there. Uh, I feel like what Paul was doing when he wrote this was he was encouraging us to press on for Christ. We've seen all this instruction on how to live our lives, different application points. This is just one more way to continue to encourage us to press on, to persevere for Christ. And so the first point in your notes, number one, we press on for Christ through prayer. So go ahead and write down prayer. If you look at verse 2, Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Does anybody struggle with this? Continuing steadfastly in prayer? I know I do. If I'm not intentional about my time in prayer, if, I'm not, if I don't plan that, if I'm not doing that with some purpose behind it, it's really easy for me to go days and even weeks without praying. I think that's just natural for all of us, that if we are not intentional about our time speaking to God, that it's easy to let that fall by the wayside and it just becomes an afterthought. Paul is instructing us to, be, to continue steadfastly in that. Sometimes if I don't do this and I find myself trying to pray, what happens is not only do I forget to pray, but when I do, I get about five minutes in and I'm thinking about my grocery list. Does that, guys, that ever happen to you guys? You just get super distracted. It's hard to concentrate. This is what happens when we try to just kind of throw prayer into our daily lives as an afterthought. Charles Spurgeon says this, Think back on thy prayers, dear Christian, how cold and infrequent they have been. We come to God when we have a need, yet neglect Him when we receive mercy. How marvelous that the Lord would even regard such intermittent spasms of importunity. Yet even when thou hast ceased to pray, He has not ceased to bless you. And thank God for that. Thank God that He is a gracious God that even though we don't spend time talking to Him and praying to Him, that He continues to bless us, protect us, watch over us. My parents, um, I think probably the first time they ever visited this church, uh, got a gift, and I think back then we were still giving out those little blocks of wood that had like a saying on it. Does anybody have one of those? I think I've got one. <laughs> so there's, uh, it's in their bathroom, and it says, don't forget to pray today because God didn't forget to wake you up this morning. So, And that's just kind of this thought that Spurgeon's given us, is that even though we neglect our time in prayer with the Lord, He continues to bless us and protect us and keep us day in and day out. So when Paul said to continue steadfastly in prayer, he wasn't talking about what I'm talking about, how I'm guilty of doing prayer so often. John MacArthur says this, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without ceasing. The phrase without ceasing, or as we see in our text today, to continue steadfastly, refers to a constant way of life that is characterized by a prayerful attitude, not an endless string of utterances. That's convicting for me. I don't know about you guys, but I know that that is my prayer life sometimes. It's just these little spastic prayers that I throw up to God that are just two or three sentences and then I get distracted and I, I don't pray the way I should. Continue steadfastly in prayer. When Paul is telling us to do this, what he is saying is we need to develop a routine. We have to set aside time in our daily lives to pray period. 
The world that we find ourselves in today, the culture that we find ourselves in has distracted us to the point that we can hardly find time to use the bathroom sometimes it seems. We're constantly busy with things, just one thing after the other. Paul is telling us you have to develop a routine, you have to make this a priority. You need this time in prayer. We can't just expect prayer and our time with God to happen on its own. That is not the way we're naturally inclined. So we have to set aside time for this. If we don't do this, it's not going to happen. Prayer is what's called a spiritual discipline. We have to discipline ourselves to do this. Once we do, once we develop a routine and we get in that habit, then it just becomes natural. It becomes more a part of who we are and what we do. We begin to long for that time more and more and enjoy it more and more. But we have to set aside time in our day to do this. We need to commit ourselves to specific times when we can unplug and get away from the world and spend time with the Lord. So, I told you number one is pray. Uh, the part A under that is to continue steadfastly. I don't know if you picked up on that. I've kind of skipped right over that. That is continue steadfastly. And then B under number one is going to be be watchful. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So what does this mean, being watchful in prayer? We must be alert and focused when we pray. Now, we can pray anytime, anywhere. You can pray going down the road. You can pray while you're at work. No matter what you're doing, you can stop and pray. You can talk to the Lord anywhere, anytime. And we need to. We should. But as we've talked about, the culture that we find ourselves in today, and I think most of you would agree, that life gets crazy busy. It's just constant. Rush, rush, go, go, go. Work, job, kids, school, whatever. And so what happens is, if the only time we ever pray is while all these other things are going on, we're just kind of tossing up these Hail Mary prayers as we're trying to do five other things, it leads to, let me read this quote to you here, by Jared Wilson. When the only time we pray is while doing other things, we program ourselves towards spiritual distortion and relational imbalance with God. And there's nothing wrong with praying while you're doing whatever you do. But that does not take the, the place of your dedicated, quiet time with the Lord every day. Like we just talked about, you need that routine time that you have set aside to read Scripture and to pray. You read Scripture so that God can speak to you. You pray so that you can speak to God. Jared Wilson sums up this like this. I want to read this to you. This is out of a book called The Imperfect Disciple. I highly suggest you pick this up. This is a phenomenal book. I'm about halfway done with it right now. Very, very good. So I want to read this to you really quick. This is what he says on, on this Scripture. In Colossians 4.2, Paul commands, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. These are two aspects to this verse that are crucial to a proper rhythm of prayer. Number one, continuing steadfast in it. And number two, being watchful in it. Continuing steadfast in prayer speaks to commitment, to routine practice, to endurance, and even to duty. Being watchful in it speaks to focus, to clarity, to awareness. You can be neither devoted to prayer nor alert in it if you do not commit to a time where you are doing nothing but praying. This practice is called intentional prayer. 
And Alan would love that. Alan loves the word intentional. He loves to be intentional about everything we do. It shouldn't be by chance. Now, prayer is never really accidental, neither should it be incidental. Followers of Jesus need to commit to times of intentional solitude with all, all artificial noises blocked out and adequate time to focus on talking to God scheduled in. As busy as we think we are, none of us has as large a burden placed on us as Jesus did. And even though Jesus was perfectly sinless, He still needed to disconnect, detach, and devote solitary time to the Father. Here is a verse for you, Luke 5.16. But He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Talking about Jesus. None of us is better than Jesus. So if Jesus' intentional prayer involved withdrawal to deserted places as He did so often, how awesome do we think we are that we don't have to follow suit? Nobody can say with any integrity that they do not have time to do this. Nobody can say that they truly can't afford to do this. In all honesty, you cannot afford not to do this. Now, I know that sounds a little harsh. That's a little guilt trippy. But our time with the Lord and our time in prayer is such a huge part of our lives as Christians that we cannot neglect it. My marriage to my wife wouldn't work if I never spoke to her. If the only time I ever talked to her was Sunday morning and maybe once at night right before we go to bed, that's not going to last long, right? It's a relationship. We have to communicate daily, all the time. It's the exact same way with the Lord. We need to have dedicated time with Him. Now, on the being watchful part, I want to say this too. We need time away from the distractions. When you do develop a routine and you have time you're going to set aside to talk to the Lord and pray, you need to put the phone down, put the tablet down, turn the TV off, get away from all the outside noise. Get away from it. This is a lost art. You guys know, I mean, I know even some of you younger people in here remember or have seen old timers that sit in a rocking chair on a front porch and just sit there. They're not doing anything. They're just sitting there, right? That seems crazy to us now. We have lost the art of just sitting and being still. The Lord says in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. But we don't know how to be still anymore. I know that I'm guilty of this just as much as anybody. And I would be willing to bet that it is so bad that there are probably a lot of you right now sitting in your seat that your foot's sitting there tapping or you're doing something with your hands. Like We've gotten so wound up trying to keep up with the world that we just can't be still. I've done that before. I've been sitting at home group and Ronnie and Barbara will just be laughing, looking at my leg going over there because I can't be still. We have forgotten how to meditate on Scripture and be quiet and talk to God and listen to God. We have to get away from the distractions. We have to put down all the phones and the tablets. We need to spend time with the Lord. So that was number one. Let's move on to number two. We press on for Christ through purpose. Number two is going to be purpose. And out to the side, in parentheses, put make disciples beside that. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus' last command before He ascended into heaven was, go and make disciples of all nations. That was His command to His followers. That is the command for every Christian. If you are in this place today and you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, your job is to make disciples. 
Wherever you find yourself, at work, your family, your friends, your job is to preach the gospel and make disciples. Period. Nobody gets a pass on this. We're all called to do this. This is not just the job of pastors and church staff. Every believer is called to make disciples. So how do we do this? If that's our, if that's our mission, what is the best way to make disciples? I think Paul gives us some really good advice here. So letter A under number two is going to be to walk in wisdom. Let's look at verse five here. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So what does that mean, to walk in wisdom toward outsiders? I think it means we have to be smart about how we try to preach this gospel, how we try to make disciples, making the best use of our time. If I want to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, toward unbelievers, people that aren't members of my church, what is the best way to do that for me? But certainly not to try to beat people over the head with the gospel, hit them in the face with my Bible. It's not to try to cram it down their throat. The best way that we can walk in wisdom toward others is to be loving toward them, to support them, to be gentle, be patient with them. Each person is different, so when we try to present the gospel and reach people with it, we need to understand that. Each person might require a little bit different approach. Some people might be really hard-headed, and maybe they need to have a, someone boldly proclaim the gospel to them. Some people are broken and hurting, and they need someone to listen and to love them. They don't need you wagging a finger at them. So everybody's different. We need to be wise in how we approach people. John Flavel says this, By a careless disregard for this rule, walking in wisdom toward outsiders, we harden the wicked in their sins, bring guilt upon ourselves, and reproach upon the name and the ways of God. He's saying that if we don't do this, if we are not wise in how we approach outsiders, that we can actually harden them in their sins. And I know this can happen because I am guilty of this. When I was in high school and I was saved and my faith became real to me and I wanted to live for Jesus and I was on fire for God, I had a lot of friends that were not that way at all. They had not grown up in church and I thought it was my job to convert these guys. And so I did everything in my power to try to convince them that they needed to quit doing all the things they were doing and come to church and they needed to do what I was doing. I just I couldn't believe this light bulb that had come on for me that they couldn't see it. And I just tried to cram it down my friends' throats and it hardened them and they wanted nothing to do with me and it pushed them further away from the gospel. We cannot do that. We have to be wise in how we try to evangelize people. So part B under number two is to be gracious. It says to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And then verse six says, let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We are to be gracious. It says to let your speech be seasoned with salt. That does not mean to be salty toward outsiders. It's not what Paul's saying, okay? The reason he says let your speech be seasoned with salt is back then salt was used as a preservative. They would put it on their meats and on their food so that it wouldn't ruin. If you didn't put salt on it, it would rot. It would begin to stink and get nasty. He's saying let your speech be something that preserves people. 
Let it be uplifting. Let it be good. Don't let rotten, foul stuff come out of your mouth. Don't tear people down with the way you talk to them. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. Be wise in what you say to people. Stop and think about it. Be gracious toward outsiders. Be nice. Be loving. John 13.35 tells us that the world will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. That's how the outside world knows that we're Christians. It's how we love one another and how we love other people. Have you ever heard the expression that you'll attract more flies with honey? I hate to use that, but it's kind of, that's kind of how this works. I know that many of you would say that I'm much more attracted to, I'm much more likely to listen to you when you come at me graciously and lovingly rather than coming at me pointing fingers and wagging fingers and all that trying to give me a guilt trip. So we have to be gracious, we have to be wise in how we approach people. Our hearts should break for the lost rather than our fingers wagging at them. So number three and how we press on for Christ is through partnership. Number three is partnership. Out to the side, you can write community if you want to. So anybody that's, that considers this place home, if you're a member of New Life Community Church, especially if you're a part of a home group, you know that community is huge here. That is kind of the heartbeat of this church, is community. Let's look at verses 3 through 4. It says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So, letter A under number three is going to be partner with your pastors. Or you can just say with pastors if you want, however you want to write that. So, Paul is calling us, we can press on through partnership. And we can partner with our pastors. He says in verse three, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Paul is asking this church, these people in, in Colossae, saying, pray for us that God would allow us the opportunity to preach the gospel. You guys have a very, very unique opportunity to pray for your pastors, and you have no idea how important it is. Did you know that we can actually tell when you're praying for us? I know Kyle would agree. We can tell when you guys are praying for us as staff or pastors, any leaders in this church and any church can tell when the followers and the, the members of that church are actively praying for their leaders. We desperately, desperately need it. That God would guide us in what we do within these walls, but then also, also that He would open doors and open opportunities for us to preach it to people outside these walls. A pastor's job is not an easy one. We joke around all the time. We know that People think that pastors just sit at a desk all day in the air conditioning. It's just super easy, but it is not easy to bear the burdens of people with them. I can't tell you how many times during an average week we have people come to this church that are broken, that need counseling, whether it's marriages falling apart or whatever it is. And we are called to bear that burden with them. We, we carry that weight with these people. So we desperately, desperately need your prayer. You have a unique opportunity to partner with your pastors to promote the gospel in doing so. You might not be a pastor or preacher yourself, but you have the opportunity to partner with your preacher. 
When you pray for your pastor or your staff, you are equipping them. You're helping to equip them toward the mission that Christ has given them. And I can honestly tell you that a faithful saint who is prayerful and all about the mission, who is also praying for their pastor, is a tool that many pastors wish they had. That is a thing that will make a pastor envious. A church that prays for its pastor is a rare thing, but it is a powerful thing. The letter B under number three is going to be that we can partner with others or other believers. So not only can we partner with the leadership and the pastors in a church by praying for them and supporting them, but obviously we, we partner with other believers all the time. A prime example of this is community. It's home groups. We partner with other believers to talk about the gospel, to preach the gospel, invite others in. We fight side by side, but we also fight for one another. Not only can we partner to help reach outsiders, but we can partner with one another and lift one another up. That is what community is. How many people in here, I just want to kind of do a little experiment real quick. How many people in here, either through somebody in this church, you know, coming alongside you and helping you out, praying for you, being there for you when you were sick, helping you through a hard time, uh, whether it be home groups or just an individual or the pastor or whatever, how many people in this room can honestly say that this church, in some aspect, community in this church has helped me out at some point in my life and been there for me. This is how we partner with one another. We're not alone on an island trying to present the gospel and live it out. We do this as a team. We hold one another up. And that's what makes community work. And, and like I said, I think that Many people would agree that community is the number one asset that we have as a body of believers. When we have that and when we support one another and we're there for one another when times are bad, that is the gospel being lived out amongst God's people. So also when we saw that um, Paul asked that we pray that uh, there would be an open door to make the gospel clear, when he says those things, it's not just for him, it's for you also. It's for the believers. You guys should be praying constantly that you can be partners in the gospel mission that God would open doors for you wherever you're at. Your daily life, your family, your friends, your co-workers. You should constantly be praying that God opens doors for you to talk to someone about Jesus. We said time and time again that if you are a born-again Christian, if you've been saved by the grace of God, you were destined toward death and hell, and Jesus saved you, that is something you should want to share with other people. That's like having the cure to cancer and keeping it to yourself and not telling other people about it and wanting to share it. As Christians, we should desperately want to tell anyone that would listen about the saving grace of God and how they too can have hope and peace and be saved. You don't have to be a preacher to do this. You don't have to be good at talking to do this. Just tell them your story. And when you're able to do that, when you're bold enough to do that, you partner with your pastors in your church to promote the gospel in your community. So we need to be doing this. So what would this look like for us? How, how do we apply this? How do we make this practical? If we want to press on, we want to persevere for Christ through prayer, through purpose, and through partnership, what would this actually look like for us on a daily basis? 
If we take all that we've learned from this entire book of Colossians, every sermon that's been preached from it, and we apply it, we seek to glorify God in our marriages, in our parenting, and in our jobs. If we become a people marked by prayer, living out our purpose to make disciples through loving other people, and allowing that to lead and to saturate our partnerships and our communities, it will not matter what the culture around us looks like. It won't matter if the world around us doesn't recognize Christ and tries to undermine Christ. It won't matter. None of that will matter. If we will do this, if we will begin to look like that light in the midst of a crooked generation, as Scripture talks about, people will be drawn to that. It's inevitable. That is what the gospel does. It breaks through the darkness. Philippians 2.15 talks about that. That is what we are called to be. It's a light in the midst of a crooked generation. And just like a moth is drawn to a flame, when we stand out in our culture, we stand up for the gospel, and we let our light shine, broken people will be attracted to that. Every one of us here is attracted to this place. We've come to this church. We're attracted to the gospel of Christ because somebody at some point probably reached out to us and helped us, told us about the gospel, loved us when we didn't feel lovable. That's how we reach people. That's how we apply this. And so wrapping up this book, we see some very practical things. Like I've said, we can, we can press on for Christ. We can promote the gospel through how we pray, how we partner, remembering our purpose, taking everything that we've learned about how to preach the gospel and live it out through our marriages and parenting and all of that stuff. Very, very good advice. Very good instruction for us. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Alan, if you guys want to come on up, you can. So how should we respond to this? Once, once we've read this scripture and we hear that we should be constant in prayer. We should be partnering with our community and with our pastors, maybe living out our purpose. We know that we can apply it by loving others. We know that we can apply it by praying. But what does this mean for us? Well, I think for anyone in this place today, if you call yourself a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you've been saved by the grace of God, then what this means for you is we need to strive to be people marked by these traits. We need to be fighting constantly to let the gospel shine through our marriages, through our parenting, through our jobs, the way we treat people, our coworkers. But we also need to be constantly persevering and pressing on through prayer, by remembering our purpose, and by partnering with our fellow Christians and with our pastors. We as Christians should allow these things to characterize who we are. We should allow these things to help us to love those outside these walls. Just remember the hope that you found in the gospel. When you first heard it, when that light bulb first came on, remember that hope that you found. And take that and try to reach others with that through the way you live your life. If you are in this place today and you have never placed your faith in Christ, you're an unbeliever, you've never made that commitment, then 
this sense of community that I've been talking about, this, this aspect of people being there for you and help lifting you up. And you might have felt that a little bit, but there is nothing like a gospel community surrounding someone. And so if you are an unbeliever and you're not a member of a church somewhere, not a member of a local body, then you don't know what this is like. And my heart breaks for you. I cannot imagine a life without that blessed assurance that Christ gives and without this community. I honestly don't know what life would be like without God's people. Every one of you in here just about raised your hands earlier saying that at some point, this church or a church has come alongside you and helped lift you up. And we need that. We need other people. We say it all the time. We, when confronted with the gospel, when confronted with this, you can either try to be impressive or you can try to be known. And I'm glad to be known. If you're an unbeliever and you've never placed your faith in Christ, you can have that too. You can have that assurance and that sense of community. I want to encourage you guys that while the band plays here and they spend some time, I just want you to worship. Talk to the Lord. As we talked about in the very beginning of this, uh, not spending time in prayer the way we should, this might be the first time in a long time that you've actually prayed to God. Like a real prayer, not just a, hey, thank you for the food and forgive me for my sins. I want to encourage you guys to pray. Spend some time with God. Worship while these guys play. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, I encourage you to do so. I love you guys. I pray that God has spoke to you through His Word this morning. We'll be back in just a minute with an ending to this. The book of Colossians has been good, but I invite you now to pray. Apply this to your lives as these guys play.